we had certain data pieces that reports that had to be put together by individuals within a plant. And that report had to be either emailed or, you know, the data had to be compiled on the back end throughout the quarter. Um, Now with the use of Parsable and analytics tools like Power BI and the collaboration between the two of them, now that report is live. So we're taking all of that data that's being ingested, we're collaborated with Workday within the same transaction. That allows us to give that minute by minute view, if necessary, of what is going on with that particular report. Welcome to Conquering Chaos, the show for manufacturing leaders. In each episode, we're connecting you to the manufacturing leaders of today who are driving the innovations needed to future-proof the operations of tomorrow. If you feel like your time is spent fighting fires and trying to control the everyday chaos, this show is the show for you. My name is Josh Santo. I'll be your host. To everyone tuning in right now, thank you for joining us for this episode of Conquering Chaos. Today, we're chatting with an accomplished manufacturing leader on the impact you can have on your manufacturing operations with the right master data management strategy. We'll also talk about the obstacles you might encounter on your master data management journey and what you can do about them. You'll hear about the ups and downs, expectations and realities, obstacles and outcomes of our guests' experience achieving large-scale data collaboration through master data management. Now, speaking of our next guest, he's developed quite the expertise on tapping into and leveraging the power of data across many different aspects of manufacturing through a decade of firsthand experience. In fact, In recent years, he's helped his team deploy close to 150 large-scale dashboards leveraging data from Parsable, who's the sponsor of the show. As the business system leader for manufacturing systems and data analytics team at American Axle in Manufacturing, he's supporting all Industry 4.0 initiatives, including Connected Worker, which is also the deployment of Parsable, and Master Data Management from the business side of AAM for all manufacturing facilities and test prototype centers worldwide. Please welcome to the show, John Klein. John, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Josh, for that uh, warm welcome today. It's much appreciated. Well deserved. I've enjoyed the conversations that we've had together, and I'm excited to to share some of the insights you've previously shared with me with uh, the listeners of the show. So, We've covered a variety of topics on the show in the past that highlight how essential data is to the future of industrial operations. Data can be a means of enabling digital transformation, Industry 4.0, artificial intelligence and machine learning, digital traceability, and more. But all of those buzzwords aside, there's power in the data that can be realized independent of broader transformation initiatives which means that by tapping into and effectively using this data, you can make improvements sooner rather than later. John's got firsthand experience with this topic, and that's what we're going to be getting into. John, I'd love it if you could talk to us about your experience working with data within manufacturing operations and manufacturing systems. You know, it's it's been um, a long journey, um, 27 years for American Axle in manufacturing of data collected in many different fashions. Um, A lot of the data that's collected from the assembly lines is automated to a certain extent, uh, but a lot of data is not. Uh, There's a lot of manual collection as well. There's a few different aspects of um, how we collect data, whether it's from the operators. uh, You know, we look at Who's the consumer of that data? Um, Is it uh, management? Is it a coordinator, uh, a VP? So that all requires different levels of visualizations for that type of data. So in our 27-year period here, we've collected so many different variations. um, And a lot of it uh, has just been sitting idle. Uh, Now, there are pieces that we utilize. Um, But a lot of that transformation of data has been always a manual process. Someone has to download it or they have to go out to a machine and um, 
put a memory stick in and export that and, and kind of do a regression on a um, an Excel sheet or whatever transformation tool that they're using. But now we're getting to the point where we want that data, the insights of that data, that rich media that, that is involved with that in the person's face at the click of a mouse. Um, and, and there's so much value to that, that, that visualization. But taking the next step in that is, is going to be, um, you know, the predictiveness of it. You know, I think we're going to get into it a little bit, but a lot of the machine learning and the AI portion of this, um, we can be very, very punctual with what happens by learning what a machine is doing. I think that is such a, a great description of what we've seen across many different manufacturers. Like you said, uh, you know, the years may vary, but data has been collected for a significant amount of time. And in some cases, the collection of that data is automated. A lot of cases, especially when we're looking at you know, frontline activity and operations, a lot of that data is collected manually and then transformed manually and then analyzed manually. And I, I you know, think like some of the things that you're setting up when we start talking about these advanced solutions, whether it's artificial intelligence, predictive maintenance or prescriptive maintenance and what that actually means, you know, you really have to have this streamlined, consistent effective automation of data collection in order to effectively implement those programs. When you think about the future and like the vision that that American Axle Manufacturing has for the use of data within day-to-day operations, what does that what does that look like? Yeah, so the future of data within American Axle is a complete collaboration of all the legacy systems data interacting with each other in a manner to do just what was described, you know, be predictive, be prescriptive, um, make decisions, and and there still has to be human interaction. So I want to get that very, very clear that someone has to be looking at the data. You know, they they have to still utilize the visualization to make decisions. Now, machine learning can be a very good tool. Um, but still, you have responsibilities, you have accountabilities uh, that, that are still present. Um, running your day-to-day operations off of straight input data, uh, yes, it can be done, but th- there's cautions around that. Um, someone still has to be monitoring that uh, to make sure the accuracy is there. Um, and we're delivering exactly what we want to the consumer. I think that's such a, a great point that it, at no point are we talking about eliminating people from the equation. We're talking about freeing up some of the, I wouldn't say responsibility, some of the burden that gets placed on a lot of individuals to go and collect this information, take it, transfer it into another system, format whatever that is, and then do something with it. To your point, even when artificial intelligence does get implemented, AI is not at the point of making decisions on behalf of people. It can present options. It can identify trends and opportunities. But to your point, John, and I completely agree, and we've had previous guests on talking about AI, humans decide. You have to have the people who have that understanding to make the call. 100%, Josh. I I think that there's um, utilizing that data to remove the non-value added work is essential. by removing that or taking and, and shifting that, that allows us to free up time for, uh, let's say, your quality engineer, for them to do something more engaging on their aspect. That They can go out and do a hand inspection if necessary. Uh, whereas before, if they were analyzing the data, maybe maybe that portion of it got skipped for the day. And not saying that that happens, but you're reappropriating time in a more valuable manner. I think that's such a great way to think about it, really invoking that idea of non-value added work that's prevalent throughout a significant portion of operations that I've seen firsthand and that I hear from guests like yourself. And I love that idea of there's something more valuable that you can be doing with that time. I've talked with uh, the quality managers, for example, um, this was in a, a health and beauty manufacturer. 
who would spend almost up to two hours per day just preparing a report that they would then talk with with their with their overall management committee. And the reason it took that long is because they had to go almost line by line to find out about specific items, talk with people, get that information, take it back, compile it into the format that's required, and then share that with individuals. So I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot more value-added activities that can be done during that time. Yeah, and I think thinking about it from the top-down approach, at least on the American Axle side, when we were looking at a a quality report um, just for quarterly-based requirements, not to go too far into specifics, but we had certain data pieces that reports that had to be put together by individuals within a plant. Um, And that report had to be either emailed or, uh, you know, the data had to be compiled on the back end throughout the quarter. Um, Now with the use of Parsable and analytics tools like Power BI and the collaboration between the two of them, now that report is live. So we're taking all of that data that's being ingested, um, we're collaborated with Workday within the same transaction. Uh, that allows us to give that minute by minute view, if necessary, of what is going on with that particular report. We kind of cut out all of that reporting activities that that we're pulling down um, in kind of compiling that non-value-added work and kind of supporting what we had just talked about. I think that is such a great call-out. And I, I am so excited with how AAM and the team there has found the ability to, to really work towards these goals, to work to eliminate some of these non-value-added activities, automate that data collection of data that previously was inaccessible, and really set such a strong standard for what the future is going to look like. Because Let's be clear, you want to talk about like what digital transformation, Industry 4.0, all that stuff actually looks like from manifesting. What it looks like is each person involved has access to the information they need right when they need it so that they can make the right decisions or take the right action. And what you're describing is exactly that. How do we get the data, automate it to a visual system, a way that they can interpret it, and then with that interpretation, take action and that, when we start thinking about some of the difficulties manufacturing's having in general, that becomes very powerful from that ability to adapt and adapt quickly because now you're getting the information you need, you can respond, you can see the impact of that response, and the chain effect just keeps going. That's correct. And it, it, it takes down the, the silos of you know, different groups within a, a, a company. You know, there's a lot of different groups that keep um, American Axle moving on a day-to-day. And most of the time, quality's information is quality. Manufacturing engineering's information is manufacturing engineering's. There's a lot of silos and walls put up. And, you know, in the best interest of MDM, you're taking all of those collaborations. Um, procurement, that's another big one. You're, you're taking those silos down and collaborating the data together to perform your day-to-day in a more efficient manner. I love that you bring up the topic of silos. I want to define for our audience, you mentioned MDM, that's Master Data Management. I'd love for you to tell us what exactly is Master Data Management and why it's so important. Yeah, so speaking of silos, you have all the data that is collected um, you know, from our product engineering team, from procurement, from quality, uh, maintenance, and so on and so forth. Uh, what we do or what the intent is on the master data management side is to collaborate all that data. Um, we take large scale portions or, or the data as a whole um, and things that are common. I'll use machine numbers as an example uh it a specific machine number you know one two three four five six is the same identifier in every system that it touches uh so 
when someone is talking about it in the maintenance system or they need to collaborate with it within the maintenance system and connect that to quality, when we put that into a tool, um, an MDM tool or an analytics tool, we know that that machine is the same or that part number is the same as it carries across AAM. does not matter which system it touches. Um, and it allows us to streamline those processes. You know, when you look that machine up or you want to know a cost on that machine or um, how it impacts the business or, you know, the collaboration between two different systems, we can make that relationship very, very quickly. And, you know, the the big portion of MDM, I want to kind of take a step back Um you know, two of the major silos that have always been in place is, is IT and the business side. doesn't matter which company you work for. Uh, that There's always been a kind of a little wall between the two. And with MDM and, and our group's uh, relationship, we've kind of brought that wall down. And uh, we do a very, very good collaboration between IT and the business side. Because those two have to work in unison in order to make this successful. Uh, There is a lot of information. Um, There is a lot of different reporting um, pieces that need to happen to make this a very, very successful operation. I think that was a a great example. I, I like to think of it, this is how I've interpreted it, so maybe for those listening to this will resonate with you. Whenever we're trying to understand why are we getting the results that we're getting, and John, to your point, oftentimes that data isn't, it's coming from a ton of different systems. It's almost like you're the detective and the, you know, the production, the operation, that's the crime scene. And you've got different witnesses who are essentially describing the same event. You know, it might be, uh, I saw a car, it was blue. And someone else says, I saw a hatchback, it was um a, a light sky color, you know, we're all kind of talking about the same thing, but we're, you know, it's, it's not quite matching up. And you see it like in systems where you've got asset number versus machine number versus, you know, maybe it's just a general line number, but it's all pieces of it. When you're looking at the master data management, uh, what does it take to actually bring that data together is the expectation that each of these different systems, their identifiers, not just the machine number, but the way that they classify some of the data that they're capturing matches, or is there a need for something in between all of that that's essentially uh, kind of converting or translating the data that's coming from those systems? Yeah, depending on how the deployment or the decision is made um, between whether it's American Axle or another manufacturing company or any company in general, um, you either can utilize tools that you have. Uh, you can pull data into a giant data warehouse, uh, you know, a, a large scale S3, um, some sort of cloud based location. Uh, or you can utilize a tool that uh, th- that is a third party that that allows, and much like Parsable, it does matching and, and you know the collaboration between the data systems for you. Uh, and there is a little bit of structure that has to go behind it. Um, but with that being said, a, the end result is typically the same. It just depends on resources, how fast you want to get there. Um, an off-the-shelf tool may not deliver everything that you're asking for uh, because your business practices may be a little bit different. Um, you know, it's not a cookie-cutter approach. Um, and I think, you know, ours is going to be a collaboration of the two between data warehouse interaction as well as a, a third-party tool to assist. I think that's a good point that comes up pretty consistently, you know, with all of these lessons that we shared, there's always the caveat of the situation that our guest was in their environment is fundamentally different than yours. It could be the exact same industry, um, similar manufacturing processes, but there's a ton of different variables that always lead to 
the the situation where that you you have to decide what's going to be best for you. And, and to your point, you've got a bit of a, a mix and match approach. For some situations, it's expected to be standardized in this one system, and in other situations, you're having to use a third party tool to bring it all together, and that's okay. That's correct. And there's a lot of data out there that uh, you know, formatting for a lot of different formats that uh, data is plugged in. Um, you know, the different systems use different extractions. I, and I think that that's where that third party tool comes into play. Um, they can make it. Could we get there? Yes. Doing it on our own. It is possible. But how much time and resources are we going to utilize in order to make that happen? You know, it all comes at a cost. It's all time. It's all money. And to your earlier point, is that time better spent elsewhere? Right. That's correct. Such a, such a good point. Are there any sources of data that you found to be the most critical? Or do you think this is going to be something that changes depending on the problem you're trying to solve? Yes, I, I, absolutely. So product data and uh, procurement, uh, those are two big ones. Uh, our product engineering part numbers, um, cost of material, direct, indirect, uh, those are all big key players in this. You know, when we look at um, this MDM portion or MDM journey, um, there are ancillary costs as well, uh, essential, but they are ancillary to that. I mean, oh, our business is based off of production. Um, you know, you still need maintenance. You still need testing. You, you have a lot of of those secondary costs that um, you know are, are essential, but kind of get sidelined. Um, but they are still there and and required, you know. But the big key player is production, uh, bill of materials. How do we collaborate that all together? Um, I do believe our last um, analysis of data for one axle build, we have over almost 13,000 data points that we're pulling off of one bill. Um, and it's more than that on certain things, but that's kind of just a round number. Um, you know, that's that's significant. That's one, one axle as it moves down the assembly line. So sheer production numbers, we have millions upon millions of data points that we are taking daily. Um, and I think production is going to be the, the biggest player in this. I, I love exploring this concept like that. You know, you brought up 13,000 data points for just one build leading to millions. When you look at all the things that, that you're producing, especially when you're starting to think of not just one particular location or one particular line, you're talking, you know, across the entire operation of the company, that's a ton of different data points. What I love exploring with the, the customers that I've been able to work with is this idea that there are variables that are impacting the operational results. And, and to some of the earlier points that you made, if you're not able to collect or access those data points, you're not gonna be able to really contextualize why are we getting the results that we're getting. You may have some idea, you may be able to draw some conclusions, but those more specific data points you can have, uh, the, the more accurate you can be assured of your analysis and then of the action you take in response to your analysis. This is such a great topic. When you think about who benefits from access to these data points, is this, you know, is, is this data pursuit, is this really for leadership or is there something in it for everyone? All of this is cross-functional. Um, I think one of the original statements that was made was it, it doesn't matter if you are a production supervisor or a VP, you are a consumer of this data in some manner. Um, the visualization may be different, but the data collection and the projection, whether it is part counts uh, or part cost, you know, it's all relative to what level you need to be viewing this data at. And that's how we build our analytics. Uh, you know, a lot of these 
dashboards that we talk about are built for specific groups, um, but at different levels. They have different filtering options so that, you know, maybe I just want to know what the daily build number is. That's it. But as a production supervisor, I need to know what my hourly part count is. And I need to know how many parts were, you know, going through each operation at a given time. Am I meeting my tack? Am I below? Um, you know, all these different data points. Now, when you get into the higher levels of management, unless there is a true problem, you don't really need to know that. You, you know, you're, you're kind of focused on what is the number, right? Um, and I think taking all of these data points and putting them together allows us to make better decisions. You know, that, that is something that, uh, and it, that does not matter what level you're at. So, you know, as a production supervisor, you may see that your part counts are low and you may need to go address something, you know, and previously, you know, you weren't able to do that if it was manually counted. Now we have advancements in technology that allow us to pull that data live, um, well, as close to live as possible. Um, but, you know, so that you can make a well-informed decision. That's such a key point. It, there's something in it for everyone. And really, the power is not the data telling you what to do. Because back to your previous point, it's still up to the individual with the expertise and the knowledge to make the decision. But that data helps us make those informed decisions faster across all levels, whether it's, you know, needing to intervene on uh, how a particular asset is performing to... Uh, what is a strategic investment that we need to make in order to further get us towards our goal? I think that's that was such a great call out of its collectively making better decisions. When we talk about um, predictive maintenance, prescriptive, predictive uh, on that token, um, you know, talking about it from a production supervisor standpoint, you're collecting all that machine data. Hey, and if they start to see temperatures go up on a certain bearing or something like that, that data was, you know, the ultimate or the predecessor to this was failure. You know, it was a failure dictated a response from maintenance. Now, collecting this data and, and enabling machines with different types of sensors and um, collecting data on them directly you can make that decision that when a bearing gets to this temperature, it may be going bad or you may need to adjust something or, or something to that effect. So all that data compiling and being able to utilize it kind of drives that effort to be more efficient. Conquering Chaos is brought to you by Parsable. Industrial leaders like yourself use Parsable to tap into their frontline operations to track, trend, and optimize the inefficiencies that are impacting operational results. And they've accomplished some impressive results. 20% increase to productivity, 12% increase to throughput, and 6% increase to OEE, just to name a few. How? Well, first, they digitize the front line. In Parsable, they create, update, and distribute digital work instructions worldwide with an easy-to-use authoring tool. Next, Frontline workers generate new data on frontline activity by using Parsable's mobile app to access and complete audits, inspections, forms, checklists, and more. With that new data, leaders are able to uncover actionable insights into inefficiencies impacting frontline workflows and processes at sites all across the world. Companies like Heineken, Georgia Pacific, Grupo, Bimbo, and others are leveraging these new data points to improve their operations and build a more sustainable future. Go to www.parsable.com to schedule a consultation with an industry expert who can share how you can use that data that Parsable generates to improve their operations and build a more sustainable future. Everything from taking action to getting to the root causes. With your bearing example, you know, like you said, you can you can see that after a certain amount of time or, or certain changes in what's being observed, that can then start to lead to the understanding that, oh, we need to take action in order to prevent a, a very costly downtime situation. You could even take that further depending on the data points that you're gathering to say, 
bearings that we get from this supplier versus others and, and that type of comparison so that you can optimize, share that data with your suppliers so that then they can take action and improve their products so that you know, now it's going to be a longer time in between those potential failures. Sure. And, and one thing that we've seen to be consistently true here at Parsable is that you mentioned this earlier, is that there's a big gap in, in getting the data in some cases, especially from frontline operations. And most operations that we start out working with have difficulties with data collection and sharing. And a big reason for that is relying on tools that cannot facilitate the level of data capture that's needed to understand uh, what's happening, when, how, its impact, et cetera. And in, in the ways that they typically are capturing that data, it's still incredibly difficult to access or it requires significant processing to make it usable. So you know, what I'd love to hear from you, John, is what's one of the biggest obstacles manufacturers may encounter when attempting to build a culture of analytics and data collaboration? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Josh. You know, we, there are many challenges that we face in this arena. Um, one of the things that I think that is a key point is talking to who is consuming the data and understanding what their requirements are in order to provide proper visualizations. Uh, one of the misconceptions that, you know, we, we falter at it. Um, you know, this is, is one of the lower points for us is, uh, and it, it, this goes for any type of development. If you develop in a vacuum or it's a singular person's idea and you take it to the floor, it may not be well received. You, you may not be delivering what the end user needs. Um, I'll take it a step further. You may be over delivering on the data that you're projecting. Um, and I think that that's one of the failures that we've seen is from our perspective, we've developed dashboards that support different types of data collection and operations. But on that token, we could be, we were over delivering certain pieces of data and requiring, um, I'll use the supervisor as an example again, uh, requiring them to do more then be concerned about what their day-to-day -day operations are, to be more focused on the data rather than making looking at the data quickly and then making an educated decision, not interacting with the data, entering more data. That's not the idea. The idea is to be more efficient in what you're doing. Such a great point. Data is not the goal. Data should support you in accomplishing the goal, but putting that first, that's that's not what, what needs to happen. I think that's a great example that you also brought up because we talked about how data, there's something in data for everyone. However, that visualization, that ability to be able to interpret that data has to be specific to the consumer. So it's almost like you're having to build you know, your own product for each individual to use for their purposes to serve their pursuit of that goal. Yeah, absolutely. And that can be very specific to groups, um, you know, whether it's quality or manufacturing or testing, it, it doesn't matter. It could be generalized auditing, right? Uh, all of it is all reliant on who needs to consume that data and at what rate, what, what is the frequency of that data? Now, one thing that I've seen with a, a lot of manufacturers that I've worked with is that uh, in some cases, this, this ability to automate the collection of that data or accessing the data that is captured uh, is, is very difficult and time consuming, next to impossible when paper routines have been the norm for decades. I'd love to hear from your perspective, is paper problematic? Is it outdated or is it still an effective way of of collecting data. Yeah, I think this is something that we discussed in the past is, yeah. you know, paper will never go away. That their paper serves its purpose. It's 
been there forever. Um, it plays a key role in that. Uh, I, I don't think I can type on a keyboard faster than I can write on a piece of piece of paper. But what that piece of paper lacks in delivering data, uh, you make up for in punching the, the, the discrepancy in time that you have punching the data in. Um, you know, we can fill up file cabinets and storage units and uh, with paper processes and, and all of that, but it, it's stagnant. Um, it's, it's data that's just sitting there that someone needs to do something with. Now, on the Industry 4.0 journey, you know, working with the Connected Worker pro, uh, platform of Crucible, we've been able to collect that frontline data uh, work, you know, whether it's audits or torque data or any type of manual transaction that was done. Hourly part checks are a big one. Um, stuff that was done on paper previously, we can do that digitally. Now, does it take a little bit longer? Yes, it does. But again, you're making up for it in what you are projecting um, in the analytics tools and in the collection of data. Because if there's ever any type of um, you know audit finding or anything that needs to a deeper dive needs to happen in on the paper process, you may have five, six, seven, eight, ten people looking for one audit that was done three years ago. Whereas on the digital transformation side, I'm three clicks away. You know, as long as my computer's on, I, I can typically find what I need in a matter of seconds, not hours. So I, I think that kind of shines the light on, you know, that type of it. But, you know, paper still plays an essential role. I, I, I don't think you're ever going to get away from that. And you mentioned... Yeah, yeah, it may it may take longer. What you're referring to is, you know, versus a digital program is just that, you know, since growing up, most of us, I mean, the next generation may be a little bit different, not Generation Z, but like Generation Alpha, I think is the next generation coming up. Maybe that's different. Maybe they're not using paper as much. But growing up, I know like everything I did, whether it's homework, papers, etc. You know, that's all note taking is very paper based. I have an iPad that has a digital sheet of paper that I use to take yes. notes on because I prefer to write it out. So there's some things I absolutely agree with you, John. There's there's a convenience, there's a habit in our personal lives of still using paper and that, and that functionality. When you say um, it takes longer, is it just the, you know, typing it in versus writing it down or are there other components to that? That's right. I mean, it's, if you are not directly ingesting data, you still have to find the job in your workflow, find the appropriate section that you need to be in, make sure that it's completed, type in the numbers if, we, if we're using numeric fields, um, make sure the task is complete. There's a, a lot that goes into it. Whereas if I was just writing, you know, 10 on a piece of paper, it's very, very quick. Uh, I don't have to log into a piece of paper. But um, again, that paper is is static. There's no, it, it cannot deliver what typing that data in does. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, one of the benefits of that digital approach being three clicks and you're audit proof. That sound dramatic. You got still got to make sure you're doing the right things. But sometimes, you know, I've worked with manufacturers who are getting penalized only because they couldn't prove that they did what they were supposed to do. They did what they were supposed to do, but they couldn't prove it. That's right. Well, I think of it, you know, we're looking at different pieces of this. Searching for that data, maybe you're under a time crunch and, and auditors there and you need to provide what they need right on the spot. Um, and sometimes that's not not the easiest thing to do because I'm going to be honest, in an audit scenario, if they don't, you know, I'll use internal audit. You know, if they don't find what they need, they're going to keep digging. 
and digging and digging and digging, which that's not a bad thing, but your data should be there at their fingertips. It should be a quick response when they ask for it. Um, and you shouldn't be, it's, it's being prepared, prepared for class, right? You're always told to be prepared for class. And, um, you know, oftentimes it's the teacher throws a pop quiz at you. Well, are you prepared for it? Did you learn from your mistakes or did you learn what you was taught over the week? Well, maybe you did. And that shows in the quiz. Maybe you didn't. I mean, that, that kind of that's kind of how an audit goes. If it's on paper and I have to fiddle with finding it in a file cabinet, that's not the, the ideal scenario. Whereas if you can say, hold on one minute and they see the same screen that you're looking at, on an overhead or or a display or you're sharing screens and you can share with them, here's your data that you're looking for in those three clicks, two clicks, one click, whatever it may be, they will appreciate that more. It, it is it, it brings to light that you are doing exactly what their the auditor is asking or you're well within compliance. That traceability, that visibility, that quick access it does lead to That's a totally right. different experience. Now, you mentioned some of the some difficulties you had in in uh, and that you've seen in order to access that data. Like you have to search for it, find it. It's stored somewhere. Other people are looking for it. Someone may have it. Maybe it didn't get turned in. Uh, what are some other difficulties aside from finding data that you need to access? What are some of the other difficulties you've experienced firsthand as a result of relying on on paper to capture and transfer information? Yeah, another great, uh, great question. So I'm going to go into the testing uh, facilities. You know, one of the things that uh, before parsable and, and digital collection, um, all of the test data was stored in binders. Um, you know, they, they, a test can run from minutes to months, days, years, you know, and that binder can get very, very thick. And people will flip through pages. Now, we're, we're all human. And if you have greasy hands or we spill oil on the paper, uh, that logbook of all the transactions that were written down, um, you know, oil can do some nasty things with it. You could essentially erase months and months worth of testing logging, you know, you still have machine collection data, but, um, you know, the accountability side of it, it, you don't have it anymore because the book got soaked in oil or it has a greasy handprint on it, or, you know, it fell on the floor and now it's soaked in water. You know, there, there's, we're all human and, and error is going to happen at some point. You know, we all want to be as perfect as possible, but, you know, they, when you're trying to be efficient uh, usually that's or you're racing around that's when the the issues happen right so and then try to get the data out it, it, that's the other thing is you know if i'm looking for a quick log and i can't find it uh, because that page got ripped out of the binder and uh, fell on the floor and now it's under the desk or something to that effect you know, now that we've transformed that facility into 100% paperless, they can find the test order very, very quickly. They can go to it and, and see exactly where that transaction took place. I mean, that's a big accomplishment, 100% paperless. That's that's a huge undergoing because it's like we talked about earlier in the conversation. This has been the norm for a significant amount of time. How did your team t tackle that? How did, how did they accomplish this? That right there was um, working with Parsable in general. Uh, our journey began June 3rd of 2019. Um, and, and in that journey, one of the goals that was set, uh, top-down approach, was that our testing facility, our Rochester Hills testing facility, needed to be 100% paperless by January 1st of 2020. Um, that's six months. So in that time period, uh, we had a great team of not only Parsable representative, but American Axle um, Associates as well. Um, we put together that team uh, of engineers and technicians 
um, in order to achieve that goal. Um, and w- with a director sponsorship that, you know, failure is not an option. We will be digitally uh, proficient and paperless within six months. Um, championing the myself championing that project uh you know it was it had its challenges because we were so reliant on paper that you had to break the mold um you know did it come with its share of failures yes but fail quickly because you you want to get that out of the way and make sure that um you know not only that parcel gets their stuff in order, but also American Axle, so that we can be successful together. Um, and I can tell you that through the the ups and downs, um, you know, we hit that 2020 marker, and by January 2nd, all the paper was gone out of the facility. Um, there was a lot of organic growth within this. Um, we use the tool primarily for job instructions or work orders, um, testing. But that organic growth turned into audits. And what else can we do with a, the digital tool to collect data? How else can we remove different types of paper? Um, you know, fork truck inspections, very, very simple, simplistic stuff that you would think people just do day to day. We transformed it into digital, into the digital tool, and now we're able to collect metrics on it. You know how many fork truck inspections were done in a given period for um, a, a given truck. You know you, you can see that now, whereas before you didn't have that luxury. Now, with implementing any type of technology, changing it's always difficult, especially the bigger your organization is. What kind of resistance to change did you encounter? Yeah, sure. You have, um, I think we talked about it already. You have the up and coming workforce that um, they don't they don't take too kindly to paper because they've never utilized it in a capacity that uh, that we do. Um, you know, the, the up and coming workforce, they've, they've always had a cell phone in their hand or a laptop in front of them. Um, a, a tablet to take notes on, and we need to embrace that. Uh, and, and those are some of the the challenges with the with the older workforce. Is you know they're they're willing to learn, but you know a lot of the resistance on that was someone's going to have to teach us how to do this. And through proper training and you know different. Um, classes that the training sessions and job aids that we put together uh we tried to make it as simplistic as possible for everybody it doesn't matter the user um if you have a task to do you pick up the tablet and, you know we'll use an audit as an example doesn't matter if i'm logging in or you're logging in it's the same you know if i have to work on that line that day uh, or that machine that day and i need to perform an audit i can step through it top to bottom, and it's the same for everybody. So, and that helps us in the manufacturing arena too. Um, you know, if a if someone is covering overtime for another associate, that that day-to-day hourly part check is always the same. So, you know, if I haven't done that in six months, but I'm still qualified and trained for it, I step right in, I log in, and, and I go. And, and it's always, it's, it's muscle memory for the brain, right? You know that I can log in and see the same thing uh, no matter where I'm at. And that's great to hear that, you know, when really with some of the resistance, it, it was more so on, I just need you to make sure that you help me understand how I can do this and, and how as a group you can provide something that's simple and consistent. Um, and then, you know, like you mentioned, you saw as a result of your efforts that organic nature of of growth with that with that idea of that growth that organic growth was it a situation where as people were exposed to okay i i do it this way for this activity was it a situation where people were starting to suggest you know things that they would like to do in a similar pattern how did 
how did that really come about? Yeah, so it was people analyzing their day-to-day operations and, and kind of bringing topics to us and saying that, hey, we have this process. Can you author a quick template to see how that would look? Um, you know, in the beginning, it, it, there were ups and downs to that uh, because we were getting used to the tool. We were trying to learn what the most efficient manner was for us to teach the tool to people um, and organize the the, the structure. Um, you know, and that's why we put together a group, at least in the tech center, that uh, that helped us, um, you know, provide that structure. Uh, you know, on the manufacturing side, same type of resistance. Uh, you know, everything, everybody was very, very new to this. Um, and then we started to build some structure around it. And and now we're we're accelerating very, very quickly, uh, you know, with with global deployments in every single country that um, American Axle uh, touches, you know, Parsable is a part of in some manner, you know, the, the, the connected worker aspect um, from supply chain quality, uh, manufacturing, um, it's touching just about everything right now, uh, which is, you know, it, it's been very, very challenging up to this point, but we're, we're more comfortable at where we're at now than we were, uh, let's say, a year ago today. Because as you go, you learn, you grow, strategy gets to hone in, more people get bought in. Absolutely. It's always iterations and continuous improvement. You need to audit yourself uh, just as much as you need to audit others. That's such a great, uh, great call out, auditing yourself. Um, Looking at, are we doing things the way that is optimal or are we doing things the way we're doing them because we were limited previously? And that takes a lot of rethinking and challenging of of how you're doing things. I, I think we're doing this to improve upon processes that that are in place. So what that means is if we're expected to do 10 things, can we get all 10 of those things done in one day? Maybe, but are they done efficiently? And, or are we just going through the motions? And I think at this point, you know, with with collecting all this data, no matter where it's coming from, um, we can highlight those inefficiencies, right? We can take and draft conclusions that, you know, maybe we don't have enough people in one area, but we're overstaffed in another area. And, and that certainly helps um, to, to be more efficient and, you know, utilize the tools for what they're there for. I think that the you know the other thing that you called out, particularly on that organic growth side, is that the more you can get people auditing and analyzing their day to day, like like the example that you gave um, of you know, do we need this many workers here? Is there a way that we can shift it? That's someone at a certain level doing that. There, a different perspective of saying like, here's an activity that I consistently do that I think we can do better leveraging this tool. That type of ownership by individuals, that ownership and that empowerment. That is such a key factor for success. We had Tom Shorma, who's a former CEO of uh, WCCO Belting, who talked about how they increased throughput by 20%. um, And the way that they did that was really just by listening to their employees, taking their ideas, implementing those ideas and running with them. And that built a culture of continuous improvement and ownership and empowerment that actually led to increased retention rates of their employees, as well as uh, easier time recruiting employees because they had so many referrals internally. So some of these lessons that you're talking about, there's better or bigger impacts that are, you know, sometimes hard to quantify, but they touch so many different parts of the operation. 100%. Uh, When you're listening to the boots on the ground of, it shows that you're in tune with, their needs and and you're listening and responding to what they're bringing to the table. Um, You know, we've been in scenarios where 
again, developing in a vacuum and not understanding the whole process ourselves, um, then you take it out to the floor and you run through it with an operator or an engineer and they say, we don't do it that way. We do it like this. And if you move this step around and, and change this or make this little edit here, you're going to get the process down 100%. You know, and we learned that in paper processes too. You know, we, we've had, a, I'll be very generic, but uh, a delivery route, right? And you have to go to 50 different locations. Um, in the Excel sheet that they printed off and they would select or check off that they made it there and they delivered X amount of uh, pieces or quantities of something, you know, it was, they started at the top of the paper and then they went to the middle and then they went back to the top and then they went to the bottom. Well, we sat with that driver and, and said, you know, can you label your route for us top to bottom? We digitized it and we put it in there. And now that job is more efficient because as they go to their station, they're clicking through the steps within the, within Parsable to plug in the data. It's little, little wins, right? Uh, the, the small gains will provide large scale um, efficiencies in the end. Well said. That is absolutely true. The more you can focus on those little day-to-day, moment-by-moment wins, that's what's going to build up and have that impact. And I think the team at AAM has done an incredible job of finding these ways to make life just a little bit easier for workers at all levels. Um, I'd love to hear from you, John. You know, when you think about your experience and your efforts around master data management, connecting workers, moving away from paper, what, what are you proud of your team for having accomplished? I think one thing that we highlighted uh, was on the the technical center, you know, them being able to shift over to a fully paperless facility within six months, that is a huge accomplishment. You know, on the manufacturing side, um, I think the collaboration of our quality departments, working with them to streamline processes that are globally uh, deployable um, in an expedited manner uh, has been second to none. Um, You know, I encourage everybody that uh, that's out there to to evaluate how you can scale your approach in taking one process at a time and, and trying to standardize that process. Um, you know, we learned very quickly that uh, you know the silos really caught up because plants operate as essentially their own entity. Um, but when you're cross-functional and you, you can learn from different, you know, one plant may have a really great idea for the same thing that another plant's doing. Um, and you can build upon that. That way you can take an audit and make it standardized across the globe and deploy it in every single language very, very quickly. Um, and then draft analytics out of it. You know, it, it has huge returns. That's a huge accomplishment for American Axle uh, from an auditing perspective. Um, you know, I'd like to give credit to the analytics team. You know, the, we do a lot of crunching of data. Um, and with that being said, that there's, we're, we're being very, very uh, receptive to the business side owning a lot or or collaborating with IT to make these analytics and visualizations um, what the owner wants or or what the consumer wants. Um, And and it's done very, very quickly. We scale so fast um, on the analytics side that it's, that's almost scary uh, that uh, we can deliver in that, that type of manner. Um, You know, it, it used to be that, a dashboard took months and months to, or a singular report took months and months to put together. Now, what was taking months is now taking weeks or, or sometimes days, you know, um, because it's a quick iteration. So, yeah, when I think uh, about all the different topics that we've covered today, 
and I think about you know some takeaways that I want to make sure our listeners who maybe haven't yet started to move away from paper or established a a solid master data management program or haven't explored how they can connect their workers. Um, some of the themes that that I'm hearing from you, John, and I'd love for you to add on to them is uh, this idea of whatever you're building, build for the user. We talked a lot about the data and visualizations being something that is specific and built in collaboration with them so that it perfectly serves their needs and helps them accomplish the goals that they are tasked with with working towards. Uh, I love what you just called out. Standardize worldwide. Start with one process. Try to standardize that. Get what's working from all these different plants. Make that thing that works globally, that helps with that collection of the data, um, and, and really try to drive that standardization and then the, the other element that came up was focusing on those little wins. It's not necessarily about the big wins. It's about those tiny, you know, moment by moment, process by process, day by day activities and wins that can lead to those big results. Are there other, uh, other pieces of advice that you would give to our listeners who are not as far in their journey as you are? Talking to the frontline worker, understanding the process what they go through. If, if your target is um, that area, you, you have to learn what they do. Um, and that goes for any type of process that you're trying to digitize, you know, whether it's a quality process or a manufacturing process or a testing process. Take the time to learn that process. Now, you don't have to go far into the weeds on you know what that process is but but educate yourself on it um learn what they do day to day it will only help you in making that digital transformation it will help you in creating those data visualizations for them because the end goal is to be more efficient in everything whether it's collecting large scale data and in providing insights to it or Providing a simple audit uh, that's that's digitized. I, I I think listening to the the person or the consumer that that is affected by that data um, or keying in the data, uh, that collaboration, being the middleman on that, you need to know both sides of it: the consumer and the inputter. Great call out. Great call that and, and ties into that theme of really making sure you are serving these different groups and not necessarily dictating towards these these different groups. Such a key call out helps with adoption as well, because people are going to resist things that they didn't necessarily have a hand in in helping build. Um, I think those are great. That's right. They need to feel involved. Yeah, uh, because you don't want this to be a siloed project, right? To your point, That's the silos, silos kill. Um, I think this has been a great conversation, John. I feel like I've learned a lot from you in our time together in just about any conversation that you and I get to have together. I'd love for you to share with us how our listeners could continue the conversation with you if they have questions or, or just uh, love, uh, love hearing from you and, and want to connect. Yeah, thanks, Josh. That's, uh, that's real nice of you. Um, if anybody wants to connect with me, um, it's John, J-O-H-N dot Klein, K-L-E-I-N at A-A-M dot com. Um, that's my direct email. Uh, you can shoot me a note uh, if you want to learn how we achieved our journey or where we're at in the process of our journey. Or if you need any help uh, with that, we'd be glad to talk um, at any time. So. Uh, and if you're interested in American Axle Manufacturing, you can find us at uh, www.aam.com to learn more about uh, American Axle as a global tier one supplier for automotive. Um, and with that, thanks again, Josh. This has been a, a, a great, great podcast experience. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, John. Thank you. And that's the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Conquering Chaos is sponsored by Parsable. 
If you're a fan of these conversations, subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcasting app. Just tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. You can also find Conquering Chaos on LinkedIn. Search for Conquering Chaos and follow the page to stay up to date with how we're helping leaders like yourself conquer the everyday chaos. Finally, you do so much listening to us. We want to listen to you. Send us the topics you'd like to hear more about or the questions you want answered, and we will put together the episode that you are dying to hear. Just send us an email at podcasts at parsable.com, and the link will be in the notes. Until then, take care, talk soon, stay safe, and bye-bye.